prayer for those who have shared with me that you've been encouraged and we've been working through this series. He's lied to me about God and seeing God in his truest form, these attributes of what God does for us and what God does through us. This morning I thought about what one of the years we've been working through this series and I was thinking about Christmas. And it's hard to believe we're eight Fridays from Christmas this past Friday. And the countdown is on. And I think about Christmas when I was a kid. And my brothers and I would go and make the mandatory trip to see Santa Claus. And give him our wish list to come to one for Christmas. That photo was probably taken somewhere around 19... Uh, maybe you think, I'm trying to think how old. So it's me at the bottom. It's my younger brother being held tightly by Santa Claus's right hand because he did skateboarding. And the younger brother left. And so I'm thinking that Jonathan was my younger brother. Jonathan was probably three. So that could have been, that might be 1979, 1980 right there, folks. That's a little flashback. So the adults in the room are a little like way back then. But I can always remember, we go make see the trip to see Santa Claus, and we give him our wish list, and then Christmas Eve shows up, and those parents, those families like to have younger children in the home, it's hard to get them to sleep. To the point that you almost start threatening them, that if they don't go to sleep, Santa Claus will not make it. And parents, you know why you're trying to get them to sleep. So Christmas morning comes, and as kids, remember what we always did on Christmas morning, we got up in hopes to see find out if Santa Claus brought us what we asked for. That was the hope. Nobody's presence on the Santa Claus that he would have got us what we wished for. And I remember on Christmas morning, my dad, when we were younger, he was in charge of handing out the presents. He had the presents, three boys, there's paper everywhere. There's fragments of boxes everywhere. It looks like a tornado has come through the living room. But we sit there and we think about Christmas and we really think about Christmas, everything we know about Christmas itself, as far as the holiday goes, goes back to a man named St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas was who many of our traditions for Christmas come from. Nicholas was born in the year 280 in the village of Ontario, which is now southern Turkey. He was the child of wealthy parents who both of them died during an epidemic. So he lost both his parents. He ended up living with his uncle, who was a bishop in the Catholic Church, and later Nicholas became an ordained priest. Now remember, his parents were wealthy, so he had quite an inheritance, but he never wanted people to know about the inheritance. He didn't want people to know he had money. So what Nicholas would do is he would find those in town who were needing, those who needed help, and he would give and money. And he tried to do it in secret so nobody would see him. And there are different stories about St. Nicholas, about him leaving packages at night in front of the door so nobody would know who they were from. There's also another story that talks about a father who had three daughters, but didn't have the money to leave a dowry for his daughters. And Nicholas heard about this and the legend goes that he took some gold coins and put it in a bag and he tossed them through the door and they laid it in some stockings that were being hung by the girls to dry out. So that's what we get to the tradition of hanging our stockings at Christmas. But as I was thinking about all these things that we equate with Christmas, we equate with St. Nicholas, 
there's a misconception we have about God to the point that we think that God is a supernatural Santa Claus. We think that God would give us anything we ask for if we ask him. And we turn Santa Claus into, we turn God rather, into a Santa Claus. And this is the lie that we struggle with when we think about God. The lie is this, that God will give us everything we want in life. That's the lie that we struggle with, and that's the misconception of turning God into the supernatural Santa Claus. And here's the sad part, is that the idea that as we get older, we should learn more about God and not get concerned about Santa Claus. And unfortunately, that doesn't change. And here's what one author said, when it comes to thinking about God and comparing him to Santa Claus, this is what they wrote. We have domesticated God's transcendence. We often learn about God at the same time we're learning about Santa Claus, but our ideas about Santa Claus change and mature and become more nuanced. Whereas our ideas about God can remain a rather infantile way. So we grow in our understanding of who Santa Claus is, we don't grow in our understanding of who God is. We'll put it in a different term and figure out how this works. Over time, we develop a more mature view of Santa Claus, but our view of God tends to stay very simplistic and childish. And that's not how it should be. Yes, we know that God is a gift giver, but he doesn't give gifts the same way Santa Claus does. This morning, as we jumped into this attribute of who God is and how God is a giver of gifts, I want to look at a man this morning who forgot that God was the source of all good things, that God was the source of all gifts. You think about it, turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And I want to reintroduce you to a gentleman who you know of. But I want you to see some things this morning we think about. This man named Solomon. We know that Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. We know that he ascended to the throne of Israel, even though he had older half-brothers that were ahead of him in the line of succession. But here's what I want you to see in 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 3. And I want to share something with you this morning. So I've been studying this passage for the last couple of weeks as we get ready for this week of this series. And this morning was one of those times where God showed me something that I had never paid attention. I've read the scripture, I've read this passage, I've heard this, this passage preached a number of times, but this morning I came across something in the verse that I've never paid attention to until this morning. But it made sense as I've been studying this section of scripture for the message that I'm sharing with you today. And look what it says here, starting in verse 3. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense in the high Places. Now the king went to Gideon, the sacrifice there, for there was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. And Gideon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness, and of righteousness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him. You have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. When I am a little child, 
I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people to numerously number counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but if you have asked for yourself, understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I give you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. And I would have also given you what you did not ask, both riches and honor, so that there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all your days. Verse 14, so if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So I'm going to show you my aha moment and we're going to continue our time. Go back to verse 3 for a second. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. But do you see the next word in that verse? In the New King James translation, it says, except. Except. That verse explains the rest of Solomon's life. Solomon, now notice Solomon not gave him a blank check, literally. Solomon, ask whatever you want. And so Solomon could have asked for riches, he could have asked for a long life, he could have asked for his enemies to be taken out, but the only thing he asked for was wisdom to govern the people. He even gives the reason why he says he is young. He is young and he needs this wisdom. And so God grants him not only that, but God also gave him more than what he asked for because of what he asked for originally. But then did you see what God says in verse 14? Verse 14, he tells him, so if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. The big word in verse 14 is that word, if. If you do this, I will do this. Now watch this, but here's the problem. We know that Solomon, according to Scripture, was the wisest man in the Bible, but Solomon made some mistakes. And I want to show you what led to his downfall, but I want to show you some advice his father gave him. Turn over to chapter 2 of 1 Kings for just a moment. 1 Kings chapter 2. And I want you to see the advice that David gave his son. Now, David is nearing the end of his life, and he knows his days are short. So he brings Solomon in. In chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it simply says this. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I know the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. 
So Solomon's father David charges him, said, if you do these things, God will be with you. And then God tells over in chapter 3, if you do these things, I will be with you. But there was a downfall to Solomon. Now David learned the hard way. We know David disobeyed God's instructions. But scripture still says that David was a man after God's own heart. But God had also warned Solomon to not do some certain things. He told him not to take multiple wives, which is a man he ignored. And this is talking about David. And we're going to see it from now to Solomon. Because like father, like son. Because there are areas in Solomon's life that he did not, did not obey God. And the sad part is he walked the same line his father walked, even though he was told what God would do if he followed God's statutes and God's words. Because look what Solomon does. Take your Bibles, a few chapters over in chapter 11 of 1 Kings. The one thing God told Solomon not to do, he does. 1 Kings chapter 11, starting in verse 2. From the nation of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor are they with you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his, his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. The foolishness and destruction of Solomon was because he would not listen to God. And scripture says, and if you go back to verse 2 there, chapter 11, it says the last part of that verse, Solomon clung to these in love. He loved women more than he loved God. I mean, we look at this number in verse 3, 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 900 ladies living under one roof. I want you to process that just a moment. 900. I'm not going further, I'll be in trouble. But I read that and I just lose my mind thinking of that number. Now listen, now I'm going to say this just so you understand. Some of these women Solomon never saw, but they were part of an agreement he made with other countries for protection and territory and shipping rights and other things. But still, that number is in scripture 900 women. And scripture says that Solomon clung to these in love. And scripture warned him. He was warned if you intermarry. God had told us to the children of Israel from the beginning. If you intermarry with these who don't believe in me, they will change your heart. They will turn you away from me into other desires. So we understand Solomon is being drawn away to worship and believe other gods instead of the one true God who had already spoken to him and said, listen, if you follow my statutes, follow my commands, then I will bless you today and leave So we see Solomon taking this fall. And here's what I'm reminded of when I read about Solomon. It's simply this. No matter how wealthy or 
You simply cannot disobey God without paying a stiff price for it. You cannot go on saying that you know what, I'll just do whatever I want, even God tells me not to do it. And here's another thought that came to my mind and I was working through this week. This is in your outline. Don't take for granted the blessings God has bestowed on you or pursue to give yourself the people and things you want to have. In other words, don't think that God is just going to give it to give it. God will bless you, but as we say in the song, John Ellen just blessed a few moments ago, he gives and he takes away. So there's no way we can already compare God to Santa Claus. But yet we try to, well, if I ask God for this, he'll give it to me because I'm a good boy and I can go into the sins this week. And Solomon has God's word in front of his heart and he chooses to break the covenant he has with God. Solomon was more concerned about fame, more concerned about having stuff than about worshiping God and worshiping at his word. Scripture says that no one can match the wisdom of Solomon. Here's another thought. No one could match the foolishness of Solomon. He was the wisest man in Scripture against, but he may have been the most foolish man ever. So this morning, we think about who God is, what God does for us. Here's some things I want to show you about what God desires for us, what God chooses to give us, and how this all works. Because this morning, here's my reminder that God is the giver of gifts. He gives gifts because he loves us, but he also will take away. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The first point is this. God finds great pleasure in giving gifts. God finds great pleasure in giving gifts. God loves to give gifts. We see that all throughout Scripture. It brings God great pleasure to give us things that are good for us to have. It gives him pleasure. Listen to this. Gives us pleasure to give us things that are good for us that we need to have, not what we want or we think we deserve. Listen, as a parent, no parent in their right mind is going not going to give them a gift that's not good for them. No parent is going to walk up. I'm going to use Macy as an example. Macy, can I use an example this morning? That would be the equivalent of Ben going to Macy and saying, Hey, Macy, you want to play these steak knives? No! But we think that we'll do that with God. If we do whatever we want, you know, we think we want it. But listen, Scripture shows us over and over that God loves to give us gifts, but only that are good and healthy for us, not that are bad and harmful. Listen, if Ben gave Macy a state life, that would not be a good thing. Because some of her dolls would not have hair anymore. And you know what I mean when you've all experienced it, those who have daughters. Daughters and sisters and baby dolls, they do not go together. But here's where I'm going to show you scripture this idea that God it takes great pleasure in giving us gifts. Take your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 7 for just a second. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is finishing up his sermon on the mount. And he's just given us that passage of scripture, verse 7, where it says, Ask and we will give it to you, seek and you shall find knock and will be open to you. But then he says this in verse 9. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? If your child comes to you as a parent and asks for something, and it's a valid need as a parent, you want to give them that thing that they need. It's the same thing. Listen, Solomon, despite his mistake, despite his foolishness, Solomon asked for something he knew he couldn't do by himself. He said, God, I need wisdom to lead these people. I need understanding to lead these people. And that's what he asked for. God blessed him. And God chose to give Solomon what he needed. He wasn't going to give him what he didn't need. It's the equivalent to this passage of Scripture, verses 9 and 10. No child asking for a fish is going to be given a snake. If a child's hungry and asking for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. It's the same thing with God. If we ask God for bread, he's going to give us bread and not a stone. Because God is someone who takes great pleasure in giving us gifts. But God also does this. God gives us gifts he wants us to have. God gives us gifts he wants us to have. Remember, God gave Saul to get the wisdom, not because he asked for it, because also God wanted him to have it. But what messed up Solomon was these other desires, where his focus was not on the things of God, but on other individuals that we've read in Scripture. And so Solomon's mistake was thinking then he could play Santa Claus to himself. I'm the wisest man in the world. Also, I've got all these riches. Scripture said in 1 Kings chapter 3 that he was also the richest man, no one as great as him who came after him. So he could buy himself these things and give himself these things that he thought he needed. Listen, I've seen in my own life and I've seen in the lives of other individuals this tendency to give ourselves things that God doesn't want for us. Think about it this way. Imagine you had a friend that had some money. And they had this money, and in everybody's other's eyes, they were successful because they had money. And they could buy themselves whatever they wanted. But the more they tried to earn more money, the more they tried to get more money, the more they failed. To the point where they decided they needed to borrow more money, and then they lost it all. When I think about what God does for us, and here it is in your outline, there are people who only want something for their own glory and not the glory of God. Listen, if you have a desire to be famous, God is not going to support it. If you have a desire to be wealthy, God is not going to support it. If you have a desire to be the smartest person in the room, God is not going to give you that blessing. God chooses what he gives us. Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builder's labor is in vain. And then Jesus also warned us to be careful about putting the hands to the plow and trying to go off in a direction where we satisfy ourselves instead of letting God lead us in the direction to go. Instead of letting God give us what we need. So as children of God, we ask God first and humbly to give us things that He wants to give us. Things that are going to build us up as we work our relationship with Him and grow our walk with Him. So we know that He has gifts He wants to give 
But here's the other thought. God gives gifts when he wants us to have them. Yes, he gives us gifts he wants us to have, but he also gives us gifts that he wants us to capitalize, us to have. Now watch this, be careful with this. Because when we were thinking, it's the same thing we just wrote. For us to have, but for us, now it's for specific. Now watch this, stay with me. I haven't lost my mind yet, so hold on. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 16. Let me remind you this morning that yes, God is the giver of every perfect and good gift or things He wants us to have, but He doesn't just want us to have it, to have. Which doesn't take much this one. No, I was right. Okay, I thought it was my mind. Good. Okay. The second point said this God gives us gifts he wants to have, correct? Okay. Third point. God gives gifts when he wants us to have, right? Okay, good. I'm not losing my mind. Hallelujah, praise God. Oh my goodness, I thought I was losing it, baby. My goodness. So let's stack up and go forward again. Notice the wording there. When he wants us to have it. So yes, he gives us gifts, but there's a, there's a thing about it. When he wants us to have it, not when we desire it. Genesis chapter 16, now I'm back by 20 o'clock. And praise the God, I can end this video later about it out. So chapter 16, verse 1. Genesis. Now Sarai, Abel's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children like her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. So Abraham is a man that God chose, a man that God was going to use to build a nation who God had promised to bring him offspring. It would be born by him and his wife when they got to this point where they had no children. And so Sarai looks for a husband and says, God's not answering our prayers. God's not doing what he said he's going to do. So maybe we need to get ahead of God. Maybe we need to think on our own. And we see 
what took place because they got ahead of God. Because of a simple act of disobedience, they couldn't wait for God and trusted their own voices. And the problem is we today are still listening to the wrong voices because we're not willing to wait on God to give us what he wants us to have. And we walk around thinking because I don't understand how God will do it, I'll do it myself. And that's when we get in trouble. But Psalm 27, verse 14 says this, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The hardest thing to do as a believer is to wait. We don't like to wait. If you don't believe me, get rid of your microwave and wait in the morning and try to figure out how you're going to fix a pack of ribs in 30 seconds. It's not going to happen because we're impatient. We want it now. We do the same thing that God instead of waiting for God to give us what He wants us to have. We get ahead of God to the point where we tell God, "Listen, you're great. I worship you. I love you, and I don't have time to wait, so I'm going to do it on my own." And we see the downfall of Abraham in getting ahead of God and seeing the problems that came from that. Listen, God desires and God believes is eager to bless us when we are patient. He blesses us, think about it. He blesses you with the right job, the right spouse, the right friend, the right place to live at his right time. What he wants us to have. Yes, it is easy to go ahead and buy a newer car because you think you want it, but forgetting that God will bless you when you need it. And we get ahead of God and we see this with Abraham and Sarah. And here's the thought. If we trust God's goodness and remain patient, we usually end up with the right gift at the right time and have no regrets. If I wait on God, everything goes good. If I choose to get ahead of God, that's where everything goes downhill quickly. So we have to wait for Him to give us the gift that He wants us to have. But I want to also remind you of this this morning. God sometimes takes a gift back. Sometimes God will take a gift back. Here's a little illustration for you this morning. Let's say you bought your child or grandchild a brand new bicycle. Oh, they like that bicycle. And they're riding all over the place. They're having the best time. But then you notice something. They start leaving it outside. Or leaving it in the driveway. Or leaving it out in the rain. And as a parent, what do we sometimes do? As a parent, we take it back. Because they're not trained the way it's supposed to be treated. And I think it's terrible. And when I think about that picture, I'm reminded of this very fact that sometimes God will take certain gifts back for a period of time more permanently if we don't take them. There are times where God will take them back for a period of time, or God may take that gift back permanently, but we'll never see it again. And I think about this, if we think about it for a moment, God will take it back. We say about it in the song. Again, He gives and He takes away. We know God will do this. Not because He's a main God, but He's trying to show us that when He gave us was for a purpose and for a reason. Either we use it to glorify God, or we use it to abuse. Because we want to make ourselves happy or make ourselves famous. When I think about the idea of God taking a gift back, I'm immediately drawn to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16, we read about Samson. 
Samson was the strongest man in Scripture. God blessed Samson with great strength. But Samson got arrogant. We read all about Samson in his life, how he was arrogant, how he, he knew he had this strength, and he knew that he could do things. He was born to be a Nazarite, so he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. He wasn't supposed to hang around the dead things. There were certain things he never drank alcohol. But Samson walked around like he was better than everybody else. And there's that moment where he runs into that, that lady named Delilah. She was perfect. Remember Delilah trying to figure out what the source of his strength was. You know that passage of scripture. He said, You time with three brand new doors, I can't break them. And he told lie after lie after lie. But then he jumped down to verse 15. Now, Delilah, I'm going to start a little bit of acting here. If you could have worn the Academy Award for this prayer right here. Verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she persisted in daily with her words, she pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Verse 17. He told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaken and my strength will leave me, I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now we know who gave Samson his strength that came from God. So he tells Delilah the truth. If you cut my hair, I lose my strength. Scripture goes on to say that they cut his hair, they bound him, they died, God gave his eyes out. They just removed his sight. And so he is not the man he was, and he is in this bad situation. But notice what he does here. He has been beaten, he's been abused, and he cries out to God. Jump down to verse 28 of the same chapter. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O oh God, that I may take one blow, take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of two big pillars. Which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right and one on the other. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord and all the people who were in it, so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Samson, at his lowest point, knew where his blessings came from. He knew where his strength came from. He realized it wasn't about himself. It was about that God had gone through him, even though he would not acknowledge God the way he should have. And at his weakest moment, he cries out to God and says, God, give me strength one more time. It's at that moment he acknowledged where his strength came from. And I think about Saul, and I think about the blessing he had that he didn't use the way God wanted him. I'm reminded that our marriages, our children, our jobs, our abilities, our talents are all blessings from God, and that He will give them and continue to show them to us as we take good care of them. He wants us to enjoy them and He wants to bless us. Because Jesus reminds us under Luke chapter 12, verse 48 for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has be 
they committed a sin, they will be asked more. But the sad part is, is we receive much, we've been entrusted with much, but too many times we don't fully appreciate the gifts he's given us. And we don't show God the thanks for the little things. We don't show God the appreciation for the wonderful people he puts in our lives, the things he bestows in our lives, the things he gives us and shows us. And it's then we don't thank him for those blessings, don't take care of those talents and abilities that he blessed us with. Then God, in his righteous anger, fully expresses his anger and he takes back those Yes, God is the giver of great things, but he will take them back if you're not using them for his glory. But then here's another thought. God gives us gifts so we can re-gift. God gives us gifts so we can re-gift. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have done that at Christmas before? You open your closet and say, I didn't know that was still in here. Well, why does somebody else could use it? They'll be blessed by it because I don't need it. So you think about that thought for a moment. Yes, God blesses us, but He doesn't just bless us so we keep it for ourselves. He blesses us so we can turn around and bless others. I think about Abraham. I think about Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. This is what God told Abraham I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and your name will be great, and you shall be a blessing. God wasn't going to take Israel just to make them a great nation to bless them. He was making them a great nation so they could bless other people and continue to change the world. And this is what I'm reminded of this morning. Warren Wiersbe said this. God doesn't bless us just to make us happy. He blesses us to make us a blessing. God didn't bless you to make you happy. But he blesses you so you can be a blessing to others. That's why God does the things he does. Listen, God doesn't help you through those difficult times just to help you. He helps you through those hard times so you'll grow in your walk with him, so you'll mature your faith, so when somebody else is going through what you've just been through, guess what? You can walk right alongside them. I'm reminded of that at times when I have to do a funeral. I know what it's like to lose a sibling. So I can walk with that person they lost a brother or sister. I know what it's like to lose an uncle. So I can walk with that person. I know what it's like to lose a parent, my uncle. But those are things I understand how to walk through. So I can walk with other people as they're dealing with it. When you're going through those hard times, when you're going through those challenging situations, God's not taking you through them just to get you through it. He's taking you through it. So number one, you rely on him. But number two, you are blessing to someone else when they walk that same road. Listen, there are individuals in this room that have the ability to be a blessing to others in this same room because of some of the things that they've walked through, some of the things they've experienced either in the past or they're experiencing even now. Listen, there are hard things we all deal with those hard times we go through. Oh, we're reminded that God walks with us. I was thinking about how does that look in the bigger picture? One of the core values of Alcoholics Anonymous 
is that they let God get a hold of the individual first. And they change their life for God, but then the second part of that is, is they're going to walk with someone else's struggle. That's the core value. So why is it in the church, why is it in the church that we can't have that same concept? Why is it when we see somebody who's hurting, somebody who's struggling, and we've been on that same road before, why don't we have the courage to walk with them? Why don't we have the courage to encourage them and help them as they're going through the situation? Is it because we're prideful? Is it because we're worried about ourselves and nobody else? Yet God's word just told us, listen, you're a blessing, be a blessing to someone else. Don't just sit in your corner and watch the world go by and say, no, actually, no, do something about it. That's what God's word reminds us of. Listen, you don't go through the experience just to go through it and say, ooh, better check off the great. No, God wants you to help others who are experiencing the same thing. God wants you to walk with those who need to be turned around and going in the right direction. Listen, this morning we're going to look at a few things that God does out of a heart of love for us that God desires to do in us and through us. But I'm reminded of this. James chapter 1 verse 17 says simply this, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's from God the Father. My prayer for you this morning is that you see that God is the only source for every good and perfect gift. And that's how loving God is to us. That's how good God is to us. Listen, Santa Claus only shows up one day a year. God shows up 365 days a year. He gives us blessing beyond blessing that we choose to receive, that we choose to use, and we choose to share. Because for God, every day is Christmas. It's a day to celebrate the birth of His Son and a chance for Him to give us every good Every head out there, God comes. In just a moment, we're going to move to a time of response. And this morning, my prayer is that you understand and see just how much God loves you. That God is the only source for every good and perfect gift. That God takes great pleasure in giving gifts. He takes pleasure when He gives us the gifts that He wants us to have. He gives us pleasure. When he gives us the gifts that he wants us to use, we also acknowledge the fact that God will take the gift back. But most importantly, that you are the blessing because God blesses you. My prayer this morning is you allow God to speak to your heart today. And that you allow God to work in you and through you. Father, this morning we come to you with just open hearts. Father, we realize there are times when we've taken the blessings that you've given us as individuals. We try to keep them to ourselves. Father, this morning, you're challenging us to be a blessing to others. You're challenging us to remember that you give the gift and that you can take away the gift and not use your glory. So, Father, we thank you for the gifts you give us. Father, we thank you for the greatest gift you gave us and sending your son to die for our sins. But, Father, I think about that gift alone and how there are people who accept it and yet there are people who reject it. So, Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the reminder that you take us through these hard times so we can be a blessing to other people. 
At this moment, Father, during this time of invitation, to work in our hearts to be living things, my prayer is that simply your will be done in all things. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.